Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Pat with the Cast Right Catholic Podcast. I'm here with John. We're two best friends on a quest to become fully alive. We want to, as St. Paul says, take hold of the life that is truly life. And we just want to invite you into our friendship so that together we can learn friendship with Christ and walk with him under the Father's blessing to embrace the complete joy of him who makes all things new. John, what's up, man? How's it going? Just uh, trying to get some sleep here and there when I can. Had my new baby girl over the weekend. So what are we now? Actually, one week ago. Holy cow. I was going to say, one week. Almost, almost to the hour one week um, yeah. ago this time. So I have to ask you, on a scale of zero to three hours, how much are you sleeping at one time? Um, if I'm able to get down for a nap, it's for an hour, maybe an hour and a half at best. <laughs> It's just insane. Is that the yeah. hard part? Yeah, but well, sleeping for an hour and a half is great when you've never had sleep for three days in a row. <laughs> that that was a whole nother level of torture. Yeah, so for anybody who's tuning in, I have to tell you, John is definitely somebody who needs his beauty sleep. A lot and- of it. I will say that I got a, I received a picture from his wife while they were in the hospital room. And if this was not just audio, but you could actually see us, I would totally show you a picture. And it would explain everything I mean about John needing his beauty sleep. John said the picture makes him look like a Michelangelo statue. I, um, I think Michelangelo would be insulted if that was told to him. But nevertheless, John's a guy who brings like comforters when we go camping so that he can make sure he gets enough sleep. I don't world. think I don't think that can be verified, Pat. <laughs> well, I Jesus says something about not needing witnesses because he testifies to the truth. And so I'm just going to leave it at that. I um, you can take my testimony or leave it. But. I know, man, I was thinking of you. Um, I thought for this podcast, we could we could just kind of talk about fatherhood. Um, we've been saying, we say in our introduction every week, and um, I've been, we've been talking about it in the last couple of podcasts, about walking under the Father's blessing. And that's just, uh, it's kind of an abstract thing, I think. It sounds abstract. It doesn't, it sounds like something that needs to be flushed out. Um, but that's kind of the whole purpose of our podcast is to flush out what that means and what that looks like to walk on the Father's blessing. So I thought it would be good to just kind of talk about, honestly, our last week. Um, it's like John said, he um, he just welcomed his little baby girl into the world one week ago. Um, his wife went into labor on Good Friday, pretty close to three o'clock, which is, which is kind of neat. Um, I don't know if Emily thinks it's neat, but I thought it was pretty poignant. <laughs> and um, and I mentioned in the last podcast that on Good Friday at a 3 p.m. appointment, um, we found out that my son has a um, has a kidney tumor, which, thanks be to God, was just removed yesterday in surgery. Um, but all that to say, this last week has been 
exceptionally defining in our lives, in both of our lives, and particularly as it pertains to entering into um, our vocations as husbands and fathers. And so I thought it would just be be helpful to to talk about that. And I don't know, man, how, how has it been? What is it like to be a dad? What's this first week uh, had for you besides just one and a half hour naps? It's definitely filled with extremes uh, all across the board. Um, I was actually thinking about um, in Navy SEAL Bud's training camp, sleep deprivation is one of the main tor- <laughs> torture tactics that they that they put the people through because it's just so insane. And they actually are required to at some point let them get a little bit of sleep because your body at that point begins to get dangerously um, hurt. And I'm not sure what the threshold for that was. I'm trying to look up the numbers, but I have to believe I was close. I mean, it was it was nuts. Um, and just to be clear, you're comparing your uh, your experiences past week to Navy SEAL training. I'm comparing it to what sleep deprivation does <laughs> and why it's used as a torture tactic. Yes, it is. Um, so before we started this podcast, John and I were talking about um, that experience of trying to get a little bit of rest and the nurses keep walking in. And it's this like blessing and curse of those first couple of days, you feel like it's impossible to do anything without the nurses, but then it becomes very aggravating when the nurses are constantly walking into your hotel room because you're like, for example, Luke last night when he came out of surgery, the nurses were coming in every hour and I would get him to sleep and then they'd walk in and he'd wake up and then I'd have to get him to sleep again, which meant that I was sleeping in five minute intervals all night, more or less. Which is, which I can concede that it is like torture. It really is. It, but it, it just shows you the level of uh, commitment and love and kind of what that looks like. And I think um, when you first go through those first couple of days of no sleep back to back to back to back, and your body's at the point of uh, severe exhaustion and it doesn't feel right. And you actually truly do need sleep at that point or else bad things will happen. Just going through all that is, I was just thinking about uh, what it was like for Christ to carry his cross and suffer the passion and how he looked at all of us when he was currently doing that. And how we oftentimes will think about his passion and and how he loves us, which he does, but it doesn't always come with... uh, a nice feeling associated with that. I don't think, I mean, I'm sure when he was whipped, he wasn't like, Oh my gosh, I love these people so much. Everything feels so great right now. I'm not agonizing in in pain. Uh, But at the (laughs) same time, he's like, no, this is worth it. Agonizing in pain for. Um, So I think the weight of our sins uh, can, can be a little bit attested to when you are, going in these extreme situations to where it really does hurt and you really can grow, uh, get a little bit of malice toward something. I know at day four, after um, three days of just no sleep, when that baby woke up at night and would not stop crying, I started to get mad because 
I just had to get some sleep. But at the same time, you know, this this baby that I love so much and it's completely changed everything. Um, it was still worth it to be up, but I felt terrible and I hated it at that point. But yet I was still still doing it. And I think that's uh, if you can relate that to Calvary and the walk and the scourging and the crown of thorns and the crucifixion where just to the point of exhaustion, you love someone so much to go through it. But at the same time, it really doesn't feel good while you're going through it at all. Mm. And you can have, uh, I won't say bitterness because that, that probably isn't the right word, but it's easy to talk about it. It's another thing to live it. But even just a little bit of glimpse into the constant service, nonstop when all you want to do is rest is was a little glimpse to how much more the passion must have been and, and what the weight of our sins actually really is. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a great comparison and, um, and it does, it does kind of open you up to, I mean, you, you basically are at that point. I remember that so well when Luke's only six months old, so it wasn't that long ago when you're in those first couple of weeks and everything's so new to the baby, everything. Even sleeping is new. They're so used to just being kind of cocooned up in inside mama and mama's walking around. And so they're kind of swishing and swaying all over the place. And inside the womb, it sounds like waterfalls. And so there's like this constant, you know, shushing sound. And now they've got to learn how to breathe oxygen and, uh, and sleep at the same time, which is apparently a really hard thing to learn how to do and to not be held and um, I remember all the same feelings of I, I couldn't believe how angry I could feel at a baby <laughs> and I felt really guilty about it but when you reach that point one thing I kind of felt myself is all right it's either bitterness or it's love I'm either going to become bitter towards him or I'm going to choose to just embrace this and press into it I'm going to choose to just accept this difficulty as the um, as as an opportunity to start learning how to love in a, in a meaningful way, in a way that actually demands sacrifice and isn't just wow, it's so exciting. Christianity is awesome. You know, we're going to go and and do all these awesome things and learn how to love and the cross is amazing and Jesus is amazing. And then suddenly you're there and you're like, Oh, do you really want to learn how to love? Do you really want to learn how to love? Cause now you can, um, here is an opportunity. And I think, um, there was definitely that angle for me. Another side of it was, um, I don't think of the right way to say this, but I, I was able to process, what I was doing for Luke by thinking about the fact that he couldn't on his own and that that was a source of compassion for me was he couldn't on his own. And so he needed a shepherd. He needed someone to shepherd him through those first couple of weeks and could kind of relate to the way Christ does look at us and say, they can't have life. They can't have rest without me. And so 
I must because it's the only it's the only way for them to to get rest is through my shepherding them. Um, and then when I when I took that approach, that bitterness that I felt kind of burgeoning inside myself, it really did start to change a little bit, even at its roots. And I started to even see his crying, which John, you and I have talked about how suddenly you just start hearing babies cry everywhere you go, like in dead silence, you swear there's a baby crying because you're just hearing it so much. But I started taking consolation in it because to me, when he cried, it meant that he believed I was still listening. And as long as he was crying, it means he hadn't given up hope that I was going to respond to him, that I heard him, that I knew he needed help, and that I was going to come and provide that for him. And that kind of changed the way I pray as well by realizing that every time I pray in my distress, every time I pray under the weight of the realization that I can't, I can't save myself, I can't help myself, I realize that when I cry out, that it's a consolation to God because it tells God, I still believe that you're listening. I still believe you hear me. I still believe you're my good shepherd. I still believe that you are going to come and respond to me. Um, and so it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's a very multifaceted experience to have a newborn have a newborn child um but definitely when you take that approach you can it can open up the experience so that this difficulty kind of takes on and it has a new name it it is brought into a new light and you can that gives you a new way of living it out of being present in the midst of it and it doesn't just become it's a it's a slog (laughs) it's it's a difficulty but you can um, it can become edifying to you. It can actually build you up and it can, it can build up your family too. Absolutely. So what, well, the first time you became a father, what was the moment that it really uh, struck you and how did you view God in that moment? Oh, that's an, that's an awesome question. And uh, I actually, I kind of want to tie that to to what I've been going through this past week with Luke and his um, his tumor, which was which is easily the most. Uh, this week has been probably the hardest week of my life, to be perfectly honest. Um, but I remember holding Luke in the hospital room, and it was really, really. Um, I don't know if it was late or early but it was the middle of the night and um, definitely hours before sunrise. And I was holding him and I, it was really kind of vulnerable and intimate and I'm just rocking him. And it was a rare moment where he was just sound asleep in my arms. I don't know if it was, it was rare, but um, it, it was, he wasn't crying and he had been crying a lot that night. And, um, and I started to just kind of pray. And, um, and when I realized in that moment, I was, it was like a prayer talk to Luke and God at the same time. And I remember telling Luke in that prayer that there's, um, there's just one thing 
one thing that if he didn't learn anything else in his entire life, if he learned nothing else, the one thing I wanted him to learn was that he was a beloved son. One thing I wanted him to learn was was the father's love. And as I was saying it, I was immediately thinking of my own love for him. That if there was one thing I wanted him to learn in our family, it was that I loved him and that his mom loves him. But um, that kind of opened me up to realizing in the, the moment of our birth, in our creation, that when the father looks at us and he's holding us, he's thinking if there's one thing, if there's one thing you learn in your life, I want you to learn the father's love for you. Um, that's, and I realized kind of in that moment, that's, that's the one task of humanity. That's what it, that's literally what it is to be human. Human beings are created so that they can learn and image the father's love. And, um, and we learn by receiving that love, but also by then being invited to participate in it. You know, like the father creates the universe and then he creates man to live and woman to live in the midst of it in a garden with him. And he wants them to receive his love, but then he also wants them to participate in his fatherly love by tending the garden, by caring for one another, by being fruitful and multiplying and having a family. Um, And so I, I think that was kind of the moment for me where I realized like, wow, my mission as a father is to reveal the father's heart to my son that the task given to me in my life is to learn the father's love for me. And one way I'm going to learn it is by helping to reveal the father's love to my son. Um, and that that's really like the meaning of, of my fatherhood. Um, so I don't know if like you had a similar experience like that, but I will, I mean, that moment was kind of definitive in my life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, going off of what you said about preparing a place at, I mean, when you have the newborn, you, you get the nursery all set up, you have the crib set up, you get the pictures and everything. You go to the hospital and you bring them home to that sacred space that you've been setting up, that you've been anticipating for so eagerly. Uh, it's just a perfect parallel to to heaven, to, to what Jesus came down. And when he did all of his parables and, and everything, I mean, it's like we're, without really knowing it, we're doing what he did to us and we're doing it through our domestic church and our homes and the moment for me i remember at the hospital filling out forms um trying to figure out if these forms are for me or for for audrey (laughs) and and then then it was like what is your relationship to this person and then i had to write down father and that was huge writing down the word father was like wow this is big this changes everything and now I need to become who I am. And so it was writing down what is your relationship to this child that really sort of changed everything and wow. and really helped me see um, and experience more about who God is, how my relationship to God is, how I need it to be, and how I can improve it. And I know you know, studying lots of theology, having great discipleship groups, great models, great families, etc. It's very easy to see on paper how God draws your, himself closer to you through the family, through 
uh, children, just through the whole life cycle. And so on an academic level, I already knew all that. But for the first time, I began to experience it. And so it was like I was able to to take part in the theodrama of, of God and actually live it a little bit and relate it to the Gospels, relate it to the part in the agony in the garden where Jesus is like, Peter, can you not stay awake for one hour? Just stay awake for one hour. I'm dying here. You know, me trying to stay awake. Like, I couldn't <laughs> do it. It was so hard. It was so painful. I hated it so much. I began to resent the very thing that I'm obsessed with and that I love so much because in my weakness and in that moment, it was just overwhelming. And at the same time, the feeling of like, I'll do anything for this child at any point in time, um, any place, anywhere, just these extremes, extreme preparation, extreme safety, extreme love, extreme intention, extreme trust, extreme hope. Nothing is normal anymore, especially when you just consider uh, how God works through the family. And so instead of now where you when you grow up, it's you. What am I going to do for my life? What's my major going to be? What's the job I'm going to be? How are people going to view me? Then you get married and it's like, okay, uh, how do I serve my wife? Uh, how do I attend to her needs? How do I protect her, provide for her? Then you have a baby. And now it's like, oh my gosh, it's almost like you're <laughs> a general in charge of the army. You got to make sure the child's protected, the wife is protected, the home is protected, all these different things you're constantly thinking. And then you forget about who you are. You forget about the things that you normally would think about. Oh, I just want to do this right now, or I haven't done this in a while. These things are completely absent from your mind because you have so many things you're focused on. And the cool part is it's, it's not yourself so it's like in a way god is allowing you to become more like him because you're forced to look to something other than yourself and attend to those to others needs and when you do it feels really good when you do it it feels like wow i'm really i'm doing this the way god designed for it and then you always bring it back to god this is actually what he's been doing to me the whole time this mm -hmm. is how he is the father who's been drawing me closer, who's been staying awake for three days for me, waiting for me just to come home, waiting for me to see him there, waiting for me. And through all these experiences in the parables and in the gospels, they just, they just come to life. And I'm sure, especially with you and Luke in this past uh, week with the surgery and all these thoughts and wonders, it really hits home when, when Christ says, you know, let the day's worries be sufficient for the day. Mm. You really have to surrender and submit everything. I mean, each day you can wake up and you can think, okay, what happens if an asteroid hits? What happens if I get the coronavirus? What happens if my child gets sick? What happens if all these things, what happens, what happens, what happens, if, if, if. And at some point, just the very thoughts begin to plague you. They can overwhelm you and exhaust you to the point where you can't even think straight. Or you can just surrender and say you know what i can't but god you can and instead of worrying about everything that could happen i'm just gonna live and and live under the father's blessing and, and give him everything 
and and try to hear what he's trying to say and listen as as softly as I can um, because he's always speaking but it sometimes the distractions are so heavy that we can't hear him but when you when you become a father when you are uh, a family when you are gazing and adoring uh, those people in adoration um, I, I think you hear God's voice louder than ever I know when I go to adoration that's kind of when he works in my life uh, and I True. hear him well and when I can also adore you know my child my family is similarly I'm reflecting on God's love and through these people just as I am when I'm actually looking and staring face to face at God so that was kind of full circle for me I kind of experience I think many of the parables in that hospital room that you know Jesus had preached about when he walked the earth uh, I related it a little bit to the passion um, and, and Calvary and just sort of everything in between sort of came full circle hit home and then the summit of it is I'm actually the baby and <laughs> God is my father and this whole time he's been helping me and so that was basically my journey stepping into fatherhood i just want to kind of build on that um as mentioned earlier with uh, the one task and like of learning the father's love for us and we learn by receiving it but also by participating in it and the way you were just talking about that when you're writing you write father down and suddenly you realize oh my gosh I've got, I've got to be the father to this little girl now. I've got to be the father to this little boy now. But that in actually stepping into that, you then learn even more about the father's love for you. Um, and it's kind of, there's like this, this twin, this dual issue, right? There's so many times I have talked to people who have a very broken relationship with their dad and that can be a it can it can actually make christianity sometimes more difficult to live into because of that and there's as i'm talking i'm remembering remembering this book called blue like jazz um and it was is this christian author and i can't remember his name right now but he sort of talks about that in the book where he had a really hard time conceptualizing God as father because his relationship with his biological father was so broken and he as a result like really didn't hold his father in very high esteem and it was hard for him to then look at God and say oh you're a father therefore I should hold you in high esteem and so there's this dual thing that I'm talking about is the the heavenly father is not made in the image of your earthly father. And so all the brokenness that, that we may or may not experience, well, most of us, all of us will experience it on some level. Um, The inability of our earthly father, our, our, um, our biological father to, to perfectly image the father in heaven, the father in heaven is not made in his image. When we try to understand God as father, our biological father, is not the image that we should imprint on him. And at the same time, to what you're saying, 
into what we're talking about. As a father, I realized the commission to reveal the heavenly father through my fatherhood. <laughs> and so, no, I, God is not made in my image to Luke, but I want to reveal God's image to Luke. And, um, and for me, I guess kind of building on what you're saying, a, lot, a large part of that has really been as simple as taking responsibility. Just taking responsibility. You talk about, wow, I've got this family now that I need to protect and provide for and I need to care for them. And, um, and that can be a really intimidating thing. And I think, I think a lot of times we don't take responsibility because we're, we're not sure if we're capable we're not sure if we have what it takes and um, we're not going to be, maybe we think we're not going to be able to, like, I'm not going to engage my wife's emotions because um, I don't know how to operate in that area. <laughs> I'm not going to try to teach my son or daughter about um, Catholicism because I'm not a spiritual person and I don't have that knowledge. And that can go so deep of, I'm just not going to be capable of doing this. And, and I remember when we talked in, in our Holy Thursday conversation about the um, the bleed that Val had that we found out about last year's Holy Week. Um, and I remember when that happened, it was, a, it was a big conversion for me because it was as if this dark cloud, there was this darkness in front of us. And I just didn't want to go into it. I didn't want to go into it. I wanted to run and hide. I wanted to run away and hide from everything that was happening. That was... You know, they, they say fight or flight. Maybe, maybe my gut reaction was flight. Um, I definitely wanted to run away and, and just escape it and be like, I'm just, I want to focus on something else, distract myself, distract myself, distract myself. But the truth was that both my wife and my unborn son needed me to press into it and take responsibility as a husband and a father for the family's emotional and spiritual and physical needs at that point in time. And it was a scary thing because there was so much uncertainty and I, I was afraid of the pain and I was afraid of being unable to meet those needs. And then when, when we found out about, um, it was like a training ground and, and Christ was almost saying, step into this, step into this space. Don't be afraid of how ominous this looks. Don't be intimidated. Um, because when you're weak, I'm strong. My grace is sufficient for you. I'm not asking you to live out of your own capacity. I'm asking you to learn how to live out of my grace. Um, I want you to learn how to live from me, through me, with me, in me. And, um, and when this, when we found out about this tumor last week, um, it, I kind of, um, I had a, a new approach, I guess, because of last year, um, a new gut instinct. And, and I really actually deeply felt the presence of St. Joseph kind of saying, almost like he had a hand on my shoulder, saying, I know what it's like to feel that your wife and your son are threatened and that you need to go somewhere to protect them and thought about the flight into Egypt. Um, and Joseph's flight into Egypt is not a flight from responsibility. 
it's a deeper acceptance of his responsibility as father of the son of the living God, the son of Mary. And I realized that there was this really, you know, intense time and I could still feel all those emotions of like, oh my gosh, this is, I can't stand the thought of losing my son. I can't stand the thought of something going wrong here. I, like I still have that desire to escape it and hide from it, but really pressing into it and being like, no, I, I need to be a father to him. And, and this is an opportunity for me to reveal the father's heart to my son, even though he's not going to remember this. When we tell him the story of this time, you know, when Joseph told the story of the flight ship to Jesus, when Jesus was five, six, seven years old, that story revealed to Jesus the heart of the fatherly heart of Joseph. And it revealed to Jesus the heart of the heavenly father. And, um, you know, I'll just say real quick that I remember I thought of stories when I was a, a boy, when, um, I guess when I was like two years old, I started choking on a cracker or something, or maybe one years old, and my face turned blue. And my dad reached in and grabbed the cracker out. I have no memory of that. But I do have a memory of being told that story. And there was something about it that I suddenly felt the intensity of my father's love for me. And I felt his urgency to save my life. And I felt his desire to protect me. And that was an unveiling of the father's heart. And I remember when my, you know, my dad said, I love you to me as a little boy. And I remember when, um, when I was sick and my dad seemed off and I asked my mom, what's wrong with dad? And she said, he's worried about you. And in all of those things, my dad was taking responsibility for me. And in doing so, he was revealing to me his father's heart and that that's what we get to do for, that's what you get to do for Audrey and what I get to do for Luke. And while no doubt my brokenness is going to enter into my fatherhood, I pray that like my fatherhood of him would reveal the father's love for him would um, in everything that I do and taking responsibility from him and not being afraid to press into those difficult times and live out of grace that I can reveal the father's love to him um, or have these stories that are going to help him understand the intensity with which, which he's loved, which is actually, I, uh, we talk about the father's blessing and, and we should probably wrap up here, but um, I, I do give a blessing to Luke every night, even though he doesn't understand. And, and the first part of the blessing is may the Lord bless your mind that you would always know you're the beloved son of a good father. Um, and this is, this is something that we'll talk about more in, in coming weeks. But our life is meant to unfold in the security of the Father's love for us. In the garden, that's what the design is. Adam and Eve's lives are meant to unfold in the security of the Father's love for them, who walks in the garden with them, who has taken responsibility for them and who cares for them, and who desires their life that they would live with such a deep and abiding intensity that he's willing to sacrifice for them. And, and the whole story of the gospel unfolds from there with, um, you know, the son is the heart of the father and, um, and Christ on the cross, as you were talking about in the beginning, reveals the full drama, the full magnitude of the intensity of the father's will that we would live, that we would have life and have it most abundantly. Um, and we as fathers get to 
get to try to show that to our sons, which is, which is, and daughter, uh, which is an amazing thing. So, amen. amen. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking some time to, to do this podcast and, um, and talk about this past week. I know that you've got a lot on your plate and, um, and I know that, that Val and I do too, but I thought it was just good to process together and, um, and that we could share that and invite anybody who's listening um, into that with us. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we really appreciate you listening, and we hope that uh, as you listen, you are able to learn more about the Father's love for you. And learning that love, you're able to trust it and live and walk within it and from it. Um, but we'll talk more about that. That's what this podcast is all about. So for today, that's the cast right.